If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. And if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you here, it's on page 1002. As I mentioned earlier, uh, the second, or rather the first service um, here is always a catechism sermon, at least typically is a catechism sermon. And if some of you are unfamiliar with what a catechism is, it's simply just a teaching tool where questions and answers are given that brings us through the, the basic truths of the Bible. And so we've been working our way through the catechism and, and come to the final section in the catechism on gratitude and specifically on how prayer is meant to be an expression and the highest expression of our gratitude towards God. And so this Lord's Day will give us a kind of introduction to prayer in the Bible. And then the later uh, Lord's Days will open up the various requests that belong to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, as we know it, right? And so we'll, we'll open up those in later weeks as well. But this week, uh, we have an introduction to prayer. And I thought Hebrews 4 might provide us with helpful context to think about our need for prayer and why God has given us such a privilege and a blessing of prayer as well. So Hebrews chapter 4, and we will read... Uh, verses 14 through 16. This is the holy and inspired word of God. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, Yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So far from God's holy word. We're going to turn uh, secondly now to the catechism in the back of the hymnal we sang from. So if you grab it and flip to the back, you'll find the Heidelberg Catechism there. Lord's Day 45 on page 893. Lord's Day 45. I'll read the question and we'll respond together with the answer. So question 116. Why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also because God will give his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing ask God for these gifts and thank him for them. Question 117. How does God want us to pray so that he will listen to us? First, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God who has revealed himself to us in his word, asking for everything he has commanded us to ask of him. Second, we must fully recognize our need and misery so that we humble ourselves in God's majestic presence. Third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation. Even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord, as he has promised us in his word. What has God commanded us to ask of him? Everything we need spiritually and physically as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord himself taught us. And what is this prayer? 
Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe a question that we often might ask ourselves is this, is why is it that I don't pray? Why is it that we have a tendency not to pray? Now, I know a number of reasons uh, could be given, but I think one reason, and the reason we jumped to Hebrews chapter 4, I think one reason is that we often forget our context. Uh, We forget the context in which we find ourselves in as Christians in this world and as a church in this world as well. You see, throughout the letter to the Hebrews, and we just read a small section of it, the church is compared to that generation in the Old Testament that had been delivered from Egypt but had not yet arrived in the promised land. The letter to the Hebrews uh, reflects upon the, the context of the church as a kind of wilderness community a wilderness people who have experienced the salvation of the Lord, right? Being delivered from sin and misery, from the shackles of Satan, right? By the power of Jesus Christ alone. That was the big middle section of the catechism, right? Our deliverance from our sin and our misery. But yet we are a people who are not yet home. We are a people who have not yet arrived in our, to our ultimate destination. We are, as the author points out throughout chapters 3 and chapter 4, a kind of wilderness people who have experienced deliverance yet have not yet arrived. And it's within this context, then, within a wilderness context, that the author then is encouraging the church to endurance and to perseverance, to walk by faith and not by sight, to, to, to make it to the end. And not to fall like the generation in the Old Testament by unbelief. By now looking to the context around me and seeing, well, there's no water to drink. uh, There's no place of shelter. There's no place of of food. And therefore uh, beginning to uh, complain and, and act in unbelief against the Lord. The author is saying we are not to be that kind of people. But instead, by faith, we are to press forward to the city that God has built for us. Notice how the author ends in Hebrews chapter 13 with this kind of summary statement regarding us as the people of God. He says in verse 13, rather verse 14, he says, here, right, so within our current context, here we have no lasting city. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And if you were to read Hebrews chapter 11, you would know that that same city is the city that Abraham looked forward to. That same city is the city whose designer and builder is God. And so we are a people who have not yet arrived there. And therefore, it's within the wilderness context in which we have weaknesses, in which there are trials, in which there are things that would seek to destroy our faith, the author of Hebrews exhorts us in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of all of this, in our text that we read, 
He says there, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I think we can often read in time of need in a kind of existential sense. In time when I feel like I have need, or in a time when my need is very apparent to me. But as the author explains throughout the letter, the whole time of wilderness is a time of need. And therefore, the whole time of wilderness is one of continually coming before the throne of grace for mercy and grace to help, to sustain us, even in, as the author talks about, our weaknesses in verse 15. And the reason we can go before this throne of grace, and the reason we have access to it, is because Jesus Christ, as verse 14 says, has passed through the heavens. I take the heavens here to refer to just the the outer limits of the sky in terms of the fact that Jesus Christ has gone out of sight. And he is seated, as the author says elsewhere, at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, which today is unseen. And yet that is where we we are pursuing and where the city of God awaits us as the people of God. So when we begin to recognize our context we then begin to recognize our need. And when we recognize our need, we then rejoice with great gratitude that God has given us access to a throne of grace in the midst of a wilderness to sustain us and bring us to that city that is to come. Right, so that's the wider context. And with that being said, I wish we had more time to open up all of this. And of course, any questions or you want to talk about things further after the service, any time is always welcome. Myself or Pastor Paul or anybody would love to continue these discussions. But that's the wider context. And in some sense, I'm, I'm reminded of a sort of summary statement in, he, in uh, Psalm 84 that kind of captures this mindset. And it's one of my favorite, probably my, one of my top three uh, phrases that I find in the Psalms. And in Psalm 84, it says this, that, that in the believer's heart, it says, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As a believer, in your heart are the highways to Zion, placed there by God. And a highway, again, is a place, is something that you use to get somewhere else. Right, the highways to Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, those highways have been placed in your heart And that we go there, ultimately, by faith, sustained and winged, you can say, by prayer. So that's, again, a general kind of context to think about prayer in the Christian life. And to remember our context. And to remember that we have not yet arrived. Because when we're comfortable, when we have changed the wilderness into a kind of living room where this is kind of our home and this is where our permanent dwelling is, then we're going to not pray. But when we recognize our context, recognize the dangers around us, and recognize what God has provided for us, we will be drawn to pursue prayer and to grow in it as well. So that's the general context. Now, uh, three things I want to draw from the catechism, just following the three main questions. Uh, The why, the how, and the what of prayer in this context here. And so first, the why. And we've already been getting at this, but, but why are you to pray? And the Catechism gives us uh, two reasons for this, two further reasons that we can think about. The first reason the Catechism gives us as to why we are to pray in, verse, in uh, question 116 
is because prayer, as it says, is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And so prayer is an expression of the thankfulness that God requires of us. Right? Again, we've already been speaking about how in this third section of the Catechism, how the God had taken us from our guilt, he had by his grace redeemed us, and now prayer is meant to be a response of thankfulness, of gratitude towards God, and not only just a part of it, but the highest expression of it. Prayer is meant to be the highest expression of our gratitude towards God. It, it re- reflects a heart that, that is not trusting in itself. It reflects a heart that is not looking to itself and to its own resources, its own strength. But, but in gratitude to what God has provided for me and promises to give me, thanking him for those promises, prayer then becomes that natural response of thankfulness towards God. But notice it also says of what God requires of us. So on the one hand, like just as all of God's re- commandments come to us and they are a requirement to us, and yet we fulfill them and, and walk in them, as a rule of gratitude towards God as well, from delight in the will of God for our lives. John Calvin kind of captured this well, I think, or providing a helpful summary. He said this, that we have the commandment very frequently repeated. Seek, come to me, ask of me, turn back to me, call upon me in your day of need. Right? These are the exhortations that we hear throughout the scriptures uh, to God's people, to us. And he goes on to say that this is expressed often elsewhere as it is also in the law, which forbids us to take the Lord's name in vain. For in being forbidden to take his name in vain, we are at the same time bidden to hold him in glory by deferring to him all credit for virtue, for good, for help, and protection while we ask and await these very things from him. All right, so God's word calls us, commands us to come before him in prayer, to seek the Lord, to call upon his name in time of trouble and in need. And so prayer is first and foremost why we are to praise because it is an expression, the highest expression of our gratitude towards God. The second reason we are to pray, as it says there in the catechism, is because God will give his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing Ask God for these gifts and thank him for them. All right, now, why, does God, why is this the case, right? Why is it that God will only give his grace and Holy Spirit to those who continually and heart, with heartfelt longing ask him for them? I think first and foremost, it's that we might then recognize and know that what we have received and what we've been given has in fact come from the Lord, our God our covenant-keeping God who cares for us and is faithful to all of his promises to hear us as his children. Right, throughout the scriptures, there's this constant reminder to the church, don't forget the Lord. And often when God's people have an abundance of things and they're in security and they're in safety, what happens? Well, they forget that it's the Lord who gave them these very things. And so God gives these things only to those who ask that we might know and recognize that it is the Lord who gave them to us. It's the Lord who provides for us. It's the Lord who sustains us spiritually and physically, as we're going to say, each and every day. And secondly, also, it does this, that he might correspondingly receive all the glory. 
that we might then know that it's him and then respond in, again in further thankfulness and in further glorifying his good name and his character as one who is generous and kind, who's wise and knows what, what good things his children need and when they need it. This is why God commands us then uh, to pray, that he might be glorified, that we might grow in thankfulness and in joy uh, before our God. So that's the why. Secondly, we want to ask the question, well, how then ought we to pray? And again, all of these questions uh, need to be thought through a lot more. We don't have a ton of time. Uh, but secondly, we want to think about the how. How are we to pray? And again, the Catechism provides us with three uh, mindsets and three manners in which we are and ought to pray. And they are with sincerity, with humility, and with confidence. These are the three things that we ought to engage in in, in in how we ought to pray. And so first, we're to, as we pray before the Lord, we're to pray sincerely before him. The Catechism says we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God who has revealed himself to us in his word, right? From the heart. Prayer is not meant to be just a formality. Prayer is not meant to be just a superstitious thing. It's not meant to be just a kind of incantation of words I repeat and they have some power and meaning in themselves. But in keeping with God's salvation, in keeping with the way he saves us by covenant and enters into a relationship with us, prayer is meant to um, engage that relationship. Prayer is meant to be part of that covenant bond we have with our Lord that from our hearts we might besiege the Lord. From our hearts, we might come before him. Sincerity of heart is what the Lord is looking for in his people. And again, this is the exhortation throughout the scriptures, right? He'll, he'll chide and he'll condemn his people when they praise him with their lips or pray before him with their lips, but their heart is far from him. And so your heart in prayer is meant to be fully engaged in this. And, and often then our prayer life will be strengthened when our relationship with the Lord is strengthened. They have a reciprocal relationship as well, right? The more I pray, the more I come before the Lord, the greater that relationship will be and the stronger it will be. And the stronger it is, the more I'll pray, right? So it kind of, it, it's mutual. It goes back and forth. And so we ought to pray sincerely from the heart. Secondly, we're to pray in humility, in humility, knowing that it is before the majestic presence of God that we are coming. Our Heavenly Father, the one who reigns in glory unapproachable. And so in prayer, then, we, hum we come humbly. Right? Notice again how um, the, the scriptures speak about this and also in the, throughout the letters of, he of Hebrews, referring often to where we are coming in prayer is not just an earthly place, but we come before the heavenly throne of God, the majesty on high. And so with humility, we come before him. But in tandem with the humility, right, it's not because we can have this sort of approach to God where he's so majestic and we come with fear and trembling and we're so afraid and almost feel like we don't belong there. Well, that actually doesn't ultimately honor what God has done for us in Christ. Because, right, we recognize the greatness of our God and the majesty of his presence. But it doesn't keep us from boldly and confidently coming before the throne of grace. Why? Because though God is majestic and though God is holy, yet he has provided for us a sympathetic high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has gone there before us, 
So some of you are probably familiar with the Old Testament, with the high priest in the Old Testament. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement, he would enter into the Holy of Holies, the place where God's throne was. And he would be decked out in all of this, all these clothing and all of these jewels. And one of the, the reasons, it was very symbolic why he was, would be wearing all of these things, but the, the high priest would also, amongst all the clothing, would have these jewels on his heart, 12 of them, as he approached before the throne of, of God in the Holy of Holies. And the point of that was to symbolize that he entered as a representative of the people of God. And the fact that he was received by God could enter into the Holy of Holies and not be consumed represented the fact that the people of God had access to God. He represented them. He brought them before him. And therefore, if the priest was received, so the people had confidence that they too would be received. Well, all the more, right, that points to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who bears our names, each of them on his heart, before our Heavenly Father. And his acceptance means your acceptance. His reception is your reception. That's why elsewhere throughout Hebrews, the letter here, Jesus is spoken of as our forerunner. He goes there not for himself, but for us. And he goes there representing us, bearing our names. And therefore, with humility and with confidence and boldness, right, we approach the throne of grace. Let us then with confidence draw near. And so, brothers and sisters, draw near to the Lord with confidence. Not arrogance, not thinking so highly of ourselves, but on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for you, draw near, confidently, boldly to the throne of grace in time of need, and your Father will hear you, your Father will receive you, your Father will answer you according to his wisdom. So that's how we ought to pray, right? With sincerity of heart, in humility and confidence. These are the things how God invites us to come uh, before him, and all of that on the basis of Jesus Christ. The third and final question you want to ask then is the what, right? We talked about why we ought to pray, how we ought to pray, but then lastly, well, okay, what am I to pray for? And these are the requests that are going to be opened up um, in later Lord's days as Jesus has summarized them for us in the Lord's Prayer. And so we'll look at the what in more detail in later weeks, but in summary, notice what the Catechism says in terms of what we ought to pray for. Right? We might have a, a hyper-spiritualized view of prayer, while well, I only pray for spiritual things. We also could have a very earthly mindset in prayer, all, I only pray for earthly things and for physical things. But the Catechism holds out, just as we are body and soul, just as we belong to Christ's body and soul in life and in death, so we are to pray, as it says there, for everything we need spiritually and physically, as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord himself taught us, physically and spiritually. And I think there's a tendency to maybe overemphasize the physical things, which we are to bring before the Lord, right? But often our prayers, I think, can become solely caught up in physical things for healing, uh, for bodily needs. And again, the Lord wants to hear those prayers, but we often can neglect can, not always and not all the time, but we can neglect spiritual things. And, and one thing that might be helpful, that I mean, exercise to learn, you know, how ought I to pray, grow in prayer and what I'm praying for, 
spend some time reflecting on the prayers of the Apostle Paul or, or, or the other prayers you find throughout the scriptures. Right? Paul is often praying um, not just for physical needs, so he does pray for those, but for the faith of God's people, thanking God that he has worked faith in the life of the other people in the church around him. Have you often thanked God? Like, thank you, Lord, that you've worked faith in the hearts of my brothers and sisters here. What a joy that is. He often prays for hope, that their hope might be strengthened, and that their love might abound more and more towards God and towards one another. Right? You know, so we don't have time to reflect on all of this, but to maybe reflect upon the priorities that the Apostle Paul keeps in his prayers. Most of his letters... Um, include some type of prayer for the church. And so simply just read through those letters, find those sections, and again, reflect and ask yourself, are these the things I'm praying for? And maybe just reiterate those things to the Lord on behalf of your brothers and sisters here, upon, uh, on behalf of your pastors here. We would, of course, appreciate and, and covet such prayers uh, from you. We need them, and we all need them to sustain us in the wilderness, that we might make it and, and endure to that city that is to come. The city that awaits us, whose designer and builder is God. And so we'll again speak more about prayer in subsequent weeks. But it truly is the privilege of God. And therefore, as we go out into a new week, let us all, for one another, for ourselves, for our family, for our communities, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's go before our God in prayer. Our gracious God, our Heavenly Father, help us to recognize our need in the midst of uh, the wilderness in which we find ourselves. Father, may you strengthen um, our hope and our faith in your word and your promises that we might not walk by and live according to only what we can see, but in accordance to what, we, what, what you have said. And so, Father, may you strengthen our faith and may you make us more and more a prayerful people who continually beseech you and continually look to you for help in time of need. And so, Father, bless us in these ways. Fill us with your grace and your spirit. And we ask this all for Jesus' sake. Amen.